Hey, that's back again for a third week. I know, we've got I away know. with it, we got away with it. Hello, it's me, Steve Colgan and Andy Aliff from uh, The Emperor's Bits, and joined as ever by Traffic Mick, our station master. Hello, Traffic. Hello, hello, <laughs> hello. Shouldn't we be talking like pirates? Wow! wow. It's like a pirate, pirate day. Oh, Traffic Mick. See, my problem's coming from Cornwall, I sound like that anyway. You do, that's, that's very yeah, true, yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so, a good week, chaps? Yeah, yeah. Good, good, um, good, good, good. Well, I, I spent most of my weekend with Luke. Yay! I don't know whether that's a good well. thing or a bad thing. But it's a good thing for Wixom Sands. It's Sam. a good rumour. Seven awards, seven awards. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? Not that's bad. not bad. That's not, not bad, bad at all. Bad. So, uh, yeah, where are we off to tonight? I don't know. Where are we off to tonight, Mick? It appears we're going to Denham. Oh, we'll find out more in a minute. The theme of this series is that we're off the rails. We're taking the commuter route from High Wycombe to Marlebone. And every week we're stopping at one of the stations and we're having a look what's there just off the rails. Places you can visit, things of interest that maybe didn't even know were there. And as always, we're joined by Traffic Mick, our erstwhile station master, who's been looking into Denham Station for us. Denham Station, Denham Railway Station. Denham mm. actually means a, a place in the valley. Okay. I don't know why I've said that, but... No, oh, anyway, it's true. That's right, because it's true. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Denham Railway Station. Railway Station in the village of Denham in Buckinghamshire, obviously it would be. Yep. Yep. Uh, on the Chiltern Main Line between a West Royslip, or Rooslip, as some people say. And oh, we'll Denham, be getting on some pronunciations right. later. Oh, don't get yeah. on there. <laughs> and Denham Golf Club. Oh. Um, it was uh, constructed in 1906. Um, and it, uh, it just after seven o'clock. Just after seven o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's built just north of Denham, Denham Village on the Great Western and Great Central Joint Line. Uh, the original, uh, original name was Denham Hyphen Junction for Uxbridge. But I think okay. they changed it just back to Denham because it wouldn't go on the sign. That makes sense. <laughs> we're going to end up with another Clanvay. <laughs> 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 that have been another branch line? Because when, yep. when we talked about Wickham, there was a branch line from Wickham. How would they have done this that? Was a sim- this appeared to be a similar thing. Yes. Oh, um, these it, lost and hidden railways. It went off to the south. Yeah. Um, just to the east of the main. The Denham Railway Station. Well, it's a weird thing, because um, Denham and Uxbridge it, are so close to each other, they, right. they, they kind of run into each and other. And it went, it went down into Uxbridge, um, just a few hundred yards up the high street from the existing Metropolitan oh, okay. Railway. Um, but it's now been totally abandoned. And I, I think there are some remnants, you can see where a railway line has been, but it isn't there now. I don't know. So why were we there? Well, there was a couple of things, really. I mean, we were looking around at what's in the vicinity, and we, f- we found a couple of things of interest. I mean, one involved us going to Denham Village, which, if you haven't been before, is an incredibly oh, pretty, beautiful day, little yeah. village. A lovely day. Which seems to be mostly pubs, <laughs> which makes it even more <laughs> I lovely. I rest my case. And uh, we'll explain the reasons we went to Denham Village in a little while. And the other place we visited was the old Denham Film Studios. Yeah, which was legendary in its day. It was. It, it's kind of overshadowed by... Pinewood, you know, because Pinewood's the big name, and it's just down the road. But it's um, it's got a really good history of its own. And we'll, it's, I'm pleased to say that um, Western Homes that have taken over have managed to um, keep a lot of the original studio there. It's now it's now been developed into um, a luxury. Uh, apartments, but they've kept some unique features. And we went to visit Jonathan Lewis. Well, here we are at um, Denham Studios, and I'm joined by Jonathan Lewis uh, from Western Homes, who's their sale director. So, good afternoon, Jonathan. Good afternoon. 
Well, this is a fantastic thing. I'll just paint a picture of where we are now. We're in a room full of film mem memorabilia. I can see a stormtrooper. I can see E.T. I can see lots of um, pictures and props from, from film. So this must be a wonderful project to, for Western Homes to get involved in. Very exciting. Unique project. Very pleased to be part of. Now, how did Western Homes get involved in the project in the first place? We were approached by the former landowners due to our track record and expertise in restoring historically sensitive buildings. Wow, so you were aware of, of the unique history of this building in the, in the first place? Very much so. I'm very keen to get involved in the project. Right, so this must have been a huge um, in investment for Western Homes. Uh, the land purchase and the development costs are tot up to about £80 million, so yes, it, it is a large investment for us. My word. Now, you've managed to still keep some of the original buildings as part of the complex. Just take us through what, what's here now and is still part of the original building. Well, the main building that's always been the frontage of the film studios is still here and has been fully restored, completed, and is 90% sold out now. Right, so some of the original buildings are still functional. What, what, what's still in the complex now from the original studios that you actually use? Well, originally, this building was a laboratory. It also had two cinemas at the far end of it, both of which we used to use uh, for the, the first, first showings of films so that all the big directors, including Stanley Kubrick and many others. We have managed to retain one of them. We didn't feel it was right to retain both. So what we've created next to the main cinema is, a, is an actor's bar. It's a bit of a, a, a 20s, 30s themed cocktail bar for the residents to enjoy once we've left. When we bought the scheme, we inherited the design from the architects John Pardy. Now, they're award-winning architecture practice, and they specialise in buildings from the 1920s and 30s. How many residents are on site? How many apartments and how many people? There are over 220 dwellings on the site once we've finished. We've now completed the main building, the restoration. There are three uh, main apartment blocks, one of which is now occupied, the other two are under construction, and then there are 70 houses under construction at the moment, with completion starting October onwards this year. Wow, fantastic. And, and again, you've incorporated still some of the things that were, uh, as, I'm, as I'm looking out now, these ornamental gardens, and we're standing in what is the memorabilia room, but that's now going to become uh, a residential, uh, a residence sort of community area? Once we've left and once we've gone, they'll have full use of the, the, the bar, the, the cinema area, and the community centre. So we kind of see it as children's parties, family events, or just residents getting together to watch a film, have a drink, and enjoy each other. Do you have a lot of events here? Uh, we do. We have the cinema has been used several times. We're using it from a sales point of view at the moment. But yeah, I, I, I just see it as something bringing the community together. Excellent, excellent. And I, I just love the fact that we, we, Stephen and I did have a little wander around earlier. And the names of the roads. Tell us about the names of the roads around the whole... Well, when we buy a development, we always get involved with the local council, and they generally come up with some road name suggestions. So it's our full-time postal addresses. And fantastically, working with us, they come up with all the uh, directors' names. But the main road into the development leading into all the other spine roads is Stanley Kubrick Road. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, I know, Jonathan, you do have an event happening tonight, so we'll let you get off to that. We might be giving a little bit of exclusive on our show about the event that's happening tonight, but for the time being, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for your time. Well, the event was pretty special, wasn't it? Yeah, we like that. Let's, let's tell it. Stephen, tell them all about well, it. Well, the thing that it's, they've really, really, as, they said, as you said in the interview, they've been really sensitive with the, with the restoration. They've turned the old studios into 
basically a housing estate, but a nice housing estate. But they've kept all the original buildings, like because they were designed by Walter Gropius. Who, if oh, people Bauhaus. don't know who that is, yeah, the Bauhaus yeah. movement. Yeah. Uh, it, they're beautiful, and the old cinema's lovely. It's it's great. But what they were unveiling on that particular day was a series of etched glass. Like sculptures, yeah, sort of we, plates, we, plates of glass with several famous movies etched into them. It's we just were, wonderful. Yeah, we were invited to um, go up to. Well, we were given sort of a backstage pass to actually wander around and do what we wanted to do. But they they did direct us to an area there that's going to be at like a communal. Uh, you know, okay, seating area. it's going to be a smoking it's, it's, area. You know, it's going to be a smoking be a area once yeah, yourself in. Area. But they've got these massive, great plate glass windows, uh, of which have been turned into posters, and they all represent movies that were directed by Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Which is, you know, he's, he's, he's like the main main name there. Well, the point um, is that even if... I mean, there were a lot of films made there during the during the 30s in particular. I mean, things like, you know, Brief Encounter or The Third Man, pe- films that people will know. Which we'll be talking about later. We will. But later on, of course, it, was, it became very famous as a sound studio and, and where people would go and see the first rushes of their films with orchestrations. And, Something we'll hear a lot more about. And indeed, well. the seats that we sat on, those, those hallowed seats in the, in the viewing cinema, uh, were sat on by people that we'll talk about Stanley but, may well have warmed his buttocks yeah, on the seat yeah, 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 absolutely. Butt. But those posters, I mean, there was one that was of Full Metal Jacket. There was. There was 2001, 2001 Space, Odyssey. Space Odyssey. and one that I didn't even recognise. No, I didn't know what that no, was. Actually. well, but that, it was it was a lovely, uh, lovely unveiling. Um, I actually thought that the studio, uh, the, the housing complex within the studio, was now fully occupied. But they have only I think there's only the frontage, which was the original Art Deco 1930s frontage. Yeah, well, they've had to keep the listed buildings, but out the back is a whole new yeah. development, and we on, not, the, on the lot. Yeah, we could not believe the amount of building work that's still yeah, there's uh, a lot of houses going, going in there, a lot of houses. But we, we've seen the specs and we've seen the, the, the artist's impressions of these houses. And boy, if I got that money, I'd, I'd like to be there. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I couldn't afford to live there. <laughs> but it is very nice. And it's within, as we were saying, it's on the commuter line, but, isn't but, it? But it's, equally, on, it's on the ride into London. But equally, you know, so it's one of these, as we're saying, if you get a chance to stop off from Denham, or even if you're just driving by, just to even drive by and see this wonderful art deckage. Oh, it's uh, all white, deco, isn't it, with the curved corners white, and the railings. And all the lettering is, is in that wonderful art deco style. Uh, and, 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 you know, the, the, the people from Western Homes made us, made us most welcome. So I'm sure if you were driving past, you'd go and say, can I have a quick look round? Absolutely. We're, we're friends of Andy and Steve. Hey, Andy, <laughs> we had a walk round Denham Village, didn't well, we? Well, uh, this is very important. You, you know, I mean, the whole idea of this, of this series is to... to uh, uncover quirky and interesting bits of history uh, along the stops that we make and i had never heard of this i'm i'm quite familiar with a lot of victorian murders but i'd never ever heard of the the one we're about to do and in fact, say, if you didn't author, know andy's a bit of an expert i mean a proper proper expert on jack the ripper aren't you uh, well uh, a knowledgeable yeah knowledgeable of yeah but um i did not know about this in as indeed our next guest didn't know about it Well, we've left the world of lights, camera and action, and we're still in Denham, and we've walked down the road to this tranquil village, which way back in 1870 was the scene of the Denham Massacre, the most grisly murder known at the time, even predating the Jack the Rip murders. And we're joined by Neil Watson, who's the author of The Denham Massacre. Neil, take us back to how you discovered this story. 
Okay, yeah, it was about five years ago, and I'd done some history on the history of Denham Police Station, and a local reporter contacted me to say, oh, actually, there's a guy who lives in Pinner, but his grandfather used to work at Pinner Police Station in 1899 when it opened, and he wants to see you. So I thought, oh, great, I love anything like that. So I went to see him, lovely old chap called John Peters, and I went through his, uh, he was telling me all about his grandfather. We went through his box and found a memorial card. It was one of those black-edged affairs, which I'd seen lots of before. Before. But this one was really different because it had the names of seven members of the Marshall family who, at the bottom of the, the card, it said, all cruelly murdered in Denham in 1870. And I said to him, well, John, what, what do you know about this? I, and he said, I've never seen that card before. So it was at that point I thought, well, this must have been huge news at the time. I've never heard of it, so I've got to find out more. So that's really how it started. And you're of an inquisitive mind, uh, an ex-policeman, a retired policeman. Yeah, I, I was a police officer from 75 till 2005. Of course, this was after I'd left the police, but it, it just took my fancy and I thought this is the most exciting thing I'd ever heard in, in the terms of seven murders in one go. Um, what could be worse than that? Seven people being murdered in their house. And the fact that it was a whole family of three generations, for me, that's what made the difference. This was crime of the century as far as I'm concerned. Well, I'm joined by another policeman now. Oh, ex-policeman. Yeah, I'm surrounded by ex-policeman. It's me henchman, Mr. Stephen Corgan. The thing that strikes me about this, is it something about the the way it was done, or was it kept quiet, or is it just simply that the news didn't travel because it was in an out-of-the-way place like Denham? Oh, no, this was absolutely huge. Every newspaper in the country covered this story. The story went as far as Australia and New Zealand, and it was in the papers every week. Between the, the time of the murder until the time of the execution, not every week, but most weeks there was something about the, the murder in the papers. The Illustrated Police News, which is one of my favourite papers, I absolutely love that. And if anybody gets a chance to read the, those papers, they're amazing. It covered the story two weeks running, which I, I can't find another story, really, that covers it two weeks running. And it was like 15 pictures on each front cover. So this was a story that ran and ran. Let's go right back to the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened on that night? The main man in, in the family was a man called Emmanuel Marshall, and he owned a house right on the edge of the village. And he was the village blacksmith, and he was doing quite well for himself. But during the summertime, he used to get too much work. So very often he'd ask other blacksmiths to help him out to keep up with the orders. And of course, he unfortunately decided to give a job to a man called John Owen. He was a blacksmith, but he was also a common criminal. He was a thief and he wasn't very good at his job. And of course, on one occasion when he was working for Manuel Marshall, he burnt a wheel. And that led Emmanuel Marshall, who's a really pedantic man, to tell him that, well, I'm not paying you. This was a really big thing for John Owen because he didn't have anywhere to stay and he lived hand to mouth. And that's why one of the reasons he went out stealing things. So the, the actual cause of the murder was revenge. On, on the night, the, uh, the village policeman saw the uh, suspect, John Owen, in the village, but he didn't have anything to hold him for, so he, he made particular attention to what he was wearing, which was important later at the trial. But that was the last he saw of him. What happened after that, we don't know precisely, but we can guess probably what happened. Emmanuel Marshall was a man, and this was May, May time, he used to get up very early on a Sunday morning to do, do work before church. And on this particular day, he must have got out of his bed, gone down into the um, smithy, which was attached to the house, and he was doing some work. And at some point, Owen must have gone to the smithy and confronted him. Now, there must have been a lot of noise going on because all the people in the house who were sleeping at this time were all disturbed. I can only imagine um, that when Owen went into the smithy, there was definitely a fight that took place because 
Marshall did have defensive wounds on his arms, but suffice to say he was he was bludgeoned to death. Now, the murderer had three murder weapons. He had a poker, an axe, and a sledgehammer, some of which he used on Emmanuel Marshall. So he was killed in the, in the smithy. Once John Owen has come out of the smithy, at this stage, all the members of the family have jumped out of their beds and rushed down to the stairs to see what was going on, and they would have recognised John Owen. So I reckon at this point, John Owen had a decision to make. Did he leave the scene, or did he have to finish them off as well, because they would have been able to identify him? So Marshall's wife and his sister were murdered right by the front door. Then he came into the building, and he killed the 77-year-old grandmother, and the three children. And of course, they were killed in the back kitchen, which was locked on the outside, and he, they couldn't get out. So how did he get caught? When John Owen went back to his digs in Uxbridge, he was no longer wearing the clothing he'd been wearing the day before. Um, this was after the murder had been committed. He was actually wearing a new set of clothes, a new hat. He had money. Uh, he bought steak. He was buying people drinks in the, in the pub. So this was um, very suspicious to the main witness, whose name was Charles Coombs. And of course, when Coombs heard about the murders, he went to Superintendent Dunham, Thomas Dunham of the Bucks Constabulary, and told him what he knew. And he also told him, well, actually, I've heard that um, Owen has just said that he's going to leave Uxbridge and he's off to Reading. So that's how they actually knew where to look for him. So Dunham travelled off to Reading. He met one of the local detectives and they the detective knew where all these sort of trouble spots were, so he went to uh, this lodging house, and lo and behold, who did they find but John Owen? And fortunately, he took the main witness, Charles Coombs, with him, and he was able to identify him in, in, the, in the place. As they went to arrest him, he was just taking a pistol out of his pocket, which he had stolen from the Marshall House, but they managed to um, take that off him, handcuff him, and he went to the police station quietly. So... That was quite a result. And did he ever admit it? No, unfortunately. Um, what he did say, uh, although they didn't have police interviews like we, we understand now, he intimated that he didn't do the crime, but he did know who did it. And it was two men who had been coming out of the house when he happened to be going past, and they gave him the money and the clothing to keep quiet. The trial took place at Aylesbury Assize. The case took a whole day, and after the judge summed up, the jury returned a guilty verdict, at which point the judge said, well, you're actually going to be hung for this crime. There's a reason we've met here, isn't there? What's the relevance of this building to the whole story? Now, these are all really old pubs in this road, and the Swan is where the inquest took place. Now, a very interesting thing about the inquest, which I, I hadn't actually appreciated, was in those days when you had the inquest... Not only did you sit on a, a sort of panel to decide how the person had come to be killed, um, but you actually viewed the bodies as well. So all the, um, the people who were on the jury that day had to go and see the bodies. And apparently when they went to view the bodies, they were all in tears, and it was, it was a very, very sad, sad time. So. And Denham Village is, is, is very, very small, and so the bodies were then buried in St Mary's Church. We're going to walk down to the churchyards now and, and, and have a look at the graveside. We're now walking up through Denham Village itself, and we're now just going through the gate into the Church of St Mary's. Now, you've been here before, haven't you? Oh, I've been here many times, yeah. First time I came here, I, I didn't know what I was looking for, and of course, uh, I said to a passing lady, any idea where the Denham murder victims are? I said, you're standing on it. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even realise it was right there. But it, yeah, it's just around the corner from the main part of the church. The current, uh, or at least the original gravestone, didn't survive very well with the weather and everything, so they've actually covered it with a, a sort of more modern, up-to-date thing to uh, commemorate all the, all the victims. Let's go and have a look. 
Right, we've arrived at the stone. Uh, I suppose it's about 10 feet long by about four foot, something like that. It, this did used to have a, a metal thing going all the way around it. And the other day I discovered a letter to the editor of the Uxbridge Gazette that was saying that they, the person was complaining that um, the headstone wasn't looking in very good condition and that they, they thought it was a bit off. And also that um, they thought, well, perhaps the people in Denham just want to forget all about this murder because it brought the sort of tone of the place down a bit. But I understand a lot of people came to the funeral. Oh yeah, it was a massive attraction. Carts came from London, came from Uxbridge and all, all other parts of the locality. Special trains came up for the day and the police were headed by Superintendent Dunham. He was right at the front of the cortege. He had 20 constables behind him and there were more than 30 pallbearers when you think of the amount of coffins. The children's coffins were covered in white and the adults in black and um, it was a Friday afternoon that the funeral took place and the village was absolutely jam-packed with people. There were people selling uh, memorial cards and it depends which newspaper you read as to how many people turned up on the day. Anything from 500 to 10,000 but it was certainly a very a very big event on the day the shops all closed half day all the blinds were drawn and well there certainly wasn't a dry eye in the in the church people who were listening to the funeral um were, were very upset by the whole thing so it was a, a big event now you mentioned memorial cards there is the one you found right at the beginning of the story one of those memorial cards yeah it is one of those memorial cards so come full circle well thanks very much you <laughs> So there you go. That was this week's stop, Denham. Any a little bit more for us anywhere, Mick? Um, the other thing I found out was nearby Southland Manor, Grade Two listed building. Okay, built 16th century. But I couldn't understand why they didn't build the chimneys till the 17th century. Must be smoking. They might perhaps be smoking kippers or something <laughs> like that. They took a sample of the of the timber for the framing, found that that was felled in 1472. So that's pretty accurate. In yeah. fact, they reckon it was 11:20 in the morning. <laughs> that's really. Fantastic. It's been quite fun this week, hasn't it? Yeah. What else? Some really interesting things. What else have we got left with with uh, with Denham? Well, one thing I found is that is that um, Corder, Alexander Corder, who did the Denham Film Studios, he also owned British Lion Films, who, although they didn't make films, distributed them. And it turns out some of my favourite films were all distributed from Denham what Film Studios. What were they? Yeah, Stephen? things like um, well, the two Daleks movies with Peter Cushing. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah, people forget that Peter Cushing actually played he Doctor did. Who. He was the Doctor for two movies. And yeah. that was done at Denham. Uh, well, it was distributed via Denham because he owned British Lion. Alexander Corder, who built Denham Studios, distributed the films through there. Uh, what else was there? I said The Third Man, The Wooden Horse. I think most people know The Wooden Horse, the wartime no, one, where they all escaped. No, that escaped me. <laughs> yeah. They Who Dare, I'm All Right, Jack. Oh, Peter Sellers. Film career, really. It is, it is. It's, yeah. it's amazing, actually, um, when you, when we are taking this journey, we're, the number of film studios or film-related places that we're going to visit, because one of our stops um, is going to be Beaconsfield. Oh, the National Film Theatre National, Store. yeah. Formerly uh, Beaconsfield Studios. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah I mean, and uh, they used to share the workload between Pinewood, Denham and Beaconsfield so they used to do parts in in Beaconsfield parts in Pinewood and kind of finish off um, in, in well uh, interestingly I said right at the beginning that, that, that Denham is often in the shadow of Pinewood but and in its time it was considered to be a much better studio than Pinewood and in fact when uh, the Second World War came along. Pinewood. They asked basically if they could commandeer one of the studios, and they commandeered Pinewood and used it for storage and carried on filming at Denham because it was the better studio. Oh, that's fascinating! Yeah. And what else have we got in Denham? If you go through on the train, I've always been rather um, 
interested in in the the lake with the where they got windsurfing and and the so oh you, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah 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 and, yeah uh, and and the Colne Valley of obviously and the wonderful park area and it's also where the uh, the Grand Union ca- canals go through it is so yeah. there's a lot going there all you got to do is just get off at that stop and have her wander around. 